Welcome to the Playful Life Podcast, the place to live your best life. I truly believe that we need to make the most of this life while we're on this earth, in this body, in this experience. And part of that is fulfilling our dreams, living the life we want, and having our health is such a crucial part of that. And it's not only our physical health, but our mental, emotional, and spiritual health as well. So this podcast is dedicated to helping you find your best health and really live your best life. If you want to find out what those dreams are on your heart and how to achieve them, get on a dream strategy call with me. Visit crystallizedhealthadvisors.com, click the link, get on my calendar, and let's talk. On today's podcast, I have John Patrick Muller, and we connected in such an interesting way. We ended up having mutual friends and connections across the United States that were so surprising to us. But John has such a really interesting journey of studying Buddhism, meditation, becoming a Buddhist monk for a while, and now he has transitioned back into the civilian life, if you will, and he is fulfilling the dream on his heart to help heart-centered light workers and entrepreneurs do their best work and serve others. So I'm so excited to have John on the podcast today. Enjoy this episode. Hey, John. Hey, how's it going, Crystal? How are you? I am doing amazing. Thank you so much for being here on The Playful Life with me. I'm so happy to be here and happy birthday. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. You know, I, I celebrate birthdays big. I always just celebrate that another trip around the sun. And I think it's really important to celebrate the day that our spiritual being and physical being came together on, on earth. I think it's really important. So I, I love that I get to spend it with you and have this conversation today. Oh, thank you. It's so nice of you. What else are you going to do to celebrate after this? Well, I actually have a, a couple clients I'm going to see today. So that's fun. I get to do what I love. And I don't know. I, I think maybe just open a bottle of Chianti and relax <laughs> on the couch later with some Netflix. That sounds really nice to me right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, John, thanks again for being here. You know, um, I. I'm so excited about this conversation we're going to have for our listeners. And you have a really interesting past and path, I would say, and sort of what brought you to where you are today and who you are today. And I'd love to get in with that uh, a, little, a little bit with you. Um, so we connected on social media and it was so kismet, I think, how we even connected. I have really no idea how we initially connected but I was looking through old Facebook messages and I had seen that we sort of had this like Facebook message thread that never got resolved. <laughs> and so That's normal for me. That's probably <laughs> <normal>. Me too. <laughs> um, so I was like, I'm going to revisit this. So luckily we did and, and we reconnected and wow, we really seem to have a lot in common and I'm, I'm so glad that we, we did. So um, you know, we also have sort of these weird mutual connections across the United States that we were very interested in, in seeing where those came from. So, um, so tell me, John, a little bit, when we talked the other day, you said that you studied as a Buddhist monk and had that as part of your journey. So let's see what, what led you to that point in your life? Uh, not that that was where you started necessarily, but, um, what was sort of the path leading up to that for you? Thank you for asking. Yeah. So a lot of people ask, uh, ask me, you know, did I grow up religious or did I grow up Buddhist? And the answer is no. Uh, I grew up kind of normal, kind of um, like middle class. Like my parents were nice and slightly deep, but they wouldn't really show their depth. We didn't have much religion going on. And I ended up, I, I became really interested in psychology. So my path in was sort of psychology and and science like quantum physics and i started to really love psychology and i just loved how the mind worked and i ended up in school for psychology i got a degree in psychology and i even got a job as a professional substance abuse counselor 
And what I was discovering along my way, I kind of, people introduced me to various spiritual practices and I found books on Buddhism along the way. And um, I just kind of re started realizing that a lot of spiritual paths have answers that are much deeper than standard psychology, right? Like, and if you look for like an example, like a role model, I really wanted to find examples and role models uh, to see how I could become. And I couldn't find good ones within the field of therapy and psychology, really, you know, some, but not the best. And, you know, I was discovering that people who are spiritual practitioners, in many cases, were really embodying their teachings and they had attained, you know, levels and states that I thought were amazing. And I wanted, I wanted somehow to get there because my, my real goal was to help other people. And I had kind of learned within psychology class that the qualities of the therapist themselves are at least as important, if not more important than whatever technique that they're using. And once that kind of clicked into place for me, I went on this kind of journey of self-discovery and development. And I had to, I just happened upon spiritual practices and they did a lot more for me than uh, just standard psychology. And I just kind of loved it. But my, my goal the whole time was to get tools and to get developed enough inside so that I could actually help people. That was my real goal. And, and Buddhism was the path that clicked for me the most. So eventually uh, one of my clients, uh, when I was a counselor, told me about a Buddhist temple that was nearby. And so I just went to go, he's like, it's the only one like it in the whole country. It's very beautiful. It's 10 minutes away. Just go see it, just go. And so oh, perfect. I did. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I know, and it was like perfect timing. So when I did go, they were about to start a month long retreat. This was January, 2012. And so I, I just went to a class. I loved it. Went back the next day for more sessions. I just kept going back. And within three weeks, I asked to move in. I was like, hey, can I move in? And two weeks later, I was in. And I just lived there for five years. <laughs> I became a monk. And I just like, every all the time, I was just like, I want to go deeper. Like, I could tell it was working for all the people who were there. It was like alive. It was really, they were happy, confident. And I hung out long enough in the quiet moments to see that it wasn't like an act, it was like real. And I was just like, all the time, I was just like, I just wanna go deeper. And that just led me into moving in, joining the study programs, becoming a monk, like reorienting my whole life so that I could just go as deep as possible in this practice and, and just like reach people and help other people uh, too. Wow, that is incredible to say yes on that journey, right? When when something inside you was calling you to something greater, it was probably a little scary, right? When you were like, I, I think I want to move in with these people and, you know, give up, right? I mean, there, you had to have given up the comforts of normal life, right? I mean, you had to give up Netflix and <laughs> things well, like that, okay. right? Like, uh, what was that experience uh, like? <laughs> I think you're overestimating how comfortable my life was before I moved in. <laughs> like the, the kind of secret answer to your first question that I forgot to say is I was suffering a lot. So what led me into that? I was suffering. I felt like my life just didn't have much meaning. I was showing up every day in a job where I was supposed to be helping people and I was trying my best, but I was stressed out. I just wasn't centered like I really wanted to be. And, and don't get me wrong, like I was, I was effective in helping clients like at least as much as any of the other counselors, maybe more but I still internally wasn't that happy and, uh, you know, at all. And I was like suffering through a lot. I had this kind of identity crisis due to a breakup. And I just started to like, I was so used to seeing myself through the eyes of this other person who, who adored me and then started to like ignore me, then started to hate me. And I just like, I just didn't know who I was. Um, and so I went through a few months of like suffering and not knowing and, meaninglessness, but I didn't reach for those little temporary cures and fixes that most people do. Like I didn't, I was, you know, living with my parents at the time. I didn't go hang out with my college, with my high school friends who were not deep on the right path, right? I didn't fill my life with meaningless crap. I just stayed with the discomfort and I knew that I needed something and the pain was, you know, not pleasant at all, but I wasn't distracting myself from it. And so then when I did find that thing, I was just so ready and it just clicked. And I was just like, I want more. And I had so much space in my life to have more, 
And so when I moved in, it checked all the practical boxes too. It was closer to my work than my parents were. My parents were like nicely trying to not, not kick me out, but they wanted to. <laughs> like, okay, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, great. You're going to be a monk. Perfect. All right. Well, see well, ya. <laughs> Yeah, no, it took, it took me two years before I decided to become a monk when I was living there, but um, I was always trying to like engage my parents in spiritual discussions because I was like learning different things even before I went there. I was like reading the Tao Te Ching or I was like reading like different texts and I was like trying to talk to my parents about it and they were like humoring me like, okay, we can discuss this scripture with you today, but we don't really want to. And then when I when I found the other temple, it was like all of a sudden there's all these people who wanted to talk about these things. Mm. And so it just felt so natural and the rent was so low and it just like checked all the convenience and spiritual kind of boxes. And so it was just an easy choice. And, you know, I just, yeah, just started to love it. I started to progress. And so I just went deeper, deeper, deeper. Then all of a sudden it's like the main thing in my life. All of a sudden I'm like shaving my head and wearing robes and I have a new name. Then I'm like teaching full time. I moved to Florida and started teaching classes full time. Um, you know, my first assignment was to be on ABC News. <laughs> I was interviewed on the television for meditation and whatever. And um, I, yeah, I love teaching. Teaching is one of my favorite things. And um, I have finally found something that I really loved and that I thought was so helpful. And so I had a lot of energy to share it with other people. Wow, that is incredible. So, so now I'm sort of seeing where this teaching part of what you're doing now with, you know, your business and sort of bringing that out in others has really um, had its inception when you were, you know, going through this experience in the, in the Buddhist temple. Um, well, that's really cool because I think so many people might think that that's an experience that's so far removed from Americans and like American culture and how neat that, I mean, you were just a normal person, right? Like many of us are unhappy in our jobs, unhappy in relationships, you know, living in a situation that's less than ideal. And I honor you for, you know, making that choice to do something for yourself, even though probably people around you were going, what, what are you seriously, you know? And, um, but, but how cool. And, you know, it doesn't have to be as drastic probably as, as making a move into a temple and obviously going through that process. But um, I think just coming from that place of let's do something different because what we're doing right now isn't working um, is huge. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Just like somehow shifting and reorienting is really important for a lot of people. And it all happened small, like it looks like a big thing for me, but each little move was very slight. And by putting these slight shifts together over time, it looks like a big change over time. And it is, but it wasn't, it was never drastic. And I think people, they think about, oh, Buddhist monastery life or whatever, that's drastic. And yeah, I guess it is kind of drastic. If you go from nothing all the way to like, you know, you no, know, you can't, you can't really do this, but like becoming a monk right away, like it just, it just feels completely different. And I, I get that. Um, in fact, one time my brother was visiting and he was like, kind of not in the, the best place. And I on purpose had him meet some, one of my friends who's this very like beautiful Mexican girl who lived there. And she was like, very, um, very friendly and just like, so happy. She was so happy. She was, she was like a mentor of mine, really. She was, she was really good uh, at her meditation practice. And I had her meet him on purpose so that she could like help him to see that like normal people can live here too and that, oh, this works and whatever. And after uh, he was visiting for a few hours, uh, I asked him, hey, do you think it's weird? I kind of like read his energy a little bit. I'm like, do you think it's weird that somebody would want to come and live at a temple like this? And he's like, no, I don't think it's weird that somebody would want to do that. I just think it's weird that you would want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> because he was used to me being someone totally different. Mm. He, he like looked up to me when I was like the party guy in college. Right. So you're right. Like people around sometimes think what we do is crazy. And it just didn't matter to me. It really didn't. I knew that the normal life was crazy was the point. Mm. And so I was I didn't care what normal people thought. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. That is so relatable to people wanting to better their health, right? Because I think sometimes if they are the people that go to bars with their friends and go out all the time and they're sort of engaging in these social groups and activities, once they start, you know, ditching the party crew to go with the running crew, you know, now it's, you know, I, I think sometimes people don't do things or make a change in their life because they're afraid of what everybody around, around them is going to say. And, um, you know, it doesn't have to be something. So what, what, you know, we think of as drastic, right. Going in and moving in with monks and studying and meditating, but, but even just that, like deciding to become a little bit healthy, obsessed with your health and, and be driven on this path or focused on a business or, or whatever it is. And people might say to that person, well, this is weird for you, you know? And I think that's a fear, a, a human fear that people are going to say, that's something like ding, 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 something's wrong with me because I'm changing paths or changing directions. So, um, what a cool lesson, you know, what a cool lesson for people listening that, you know, just to have a little strength and, and go on the path and right. And once you did that, you found this whole new set of people, like you said, mentors and people to nurture that in you. And it ended up being way more positive than the life you had before. I think if we all want a new normal, we have to be willing to leave the old normal. Yeah. <laughs> because all these things that people call normal are just not good enough. Like it shouldn't be good enough for us to like call normal what everybody else calls normal. Mm. Like the mainstream anything is pretty much dangerous, I'd say. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like right. no matter like when you look into any mainstream source of knowledge, whether it's health or whatever you'll find that there's a lot of mistakes there. And even though it's adopted widespread. So I totally agree. Like there was a time where people used to call me weird because I didn't drink. Like I used to, like, I used to tell people that I don't drink and they would look at me like I had three heads. Like what, you know? And yeah, or like, you know, I'm not, I'm not vegan, but like some people are. And I wish to be, I would love to be. And I just haven't all the way gotten it yet. But, um, you know, sometimes people look at a vegan person and they're like, they think that they're absolutely crazy, right? <laughs> and like, but, right. um, you know, in order to do anything great, you have to be willing to take criticism, I think. Mm. Wow. Yes. You hit that one for sure. For sure. Um, so let's switch gears just for a moment. I, I want to talk about this, the practice of meditation. And like you said, you we're teaching meditation. And, and when we talked on the phone, you know, you said that that was sort of a, a big part of your life, your, your meditation practice and things. So what was your experience with that? Um, you know, learning about it and how you taught it and well, why is it so important that we do it? <laughs> okay. Hmm. It's a loaded question. Sorry. <laughs> question. Thank you for that. It's like, you loved it. And I have to, <laughs> Okay, so, um, so yeah, meditation is basically like the art and science of focusing on something that makes you feel peaceful. So the mind can focus on lots of things. And there's some things that when you focus on them, you feel neutral. Like you focus on your breakfast, you're going to just feel neutral. There's some things that when you focus on them, you actually feel more unpeaceful and disturbed. Like that person said that thing and how dare they say that thing. The more you focus on that, it gets bigger and bigger and your mind gets more and more disturbed. That's like anti-meditation, right? You're feeding something negative within you. But meditation is where you learn to cultivate positive thoughts or anything that makes you feel more peaceful and positive. And you learn to hold and stabilize those, uh, those awarenesses, those minds. Uh, for example, you learn how to cultivate love by thinking about other people and thinking, you know, may you be happy, may, may everyone be happy. And if you can focus on that thought, may you be happy, you know, I want you to be happy. That is a positive thought, right? And you can cultivate it without meditating on it and then it disappears in like a moment. Or you can cultivate it and then hold it in meditation. And so it becomes stronger and stronger every moment and sort of stabilizes, it becomes more part of your, of your natural experience. So that whenever things are, whenever you're not even focused on it that much, you can just kind of cultivate it during the day, like 
You can rely on that state of, state of mind, which means you can always be happy because a positive state of mind will always make you feel happy no matter how much you have of it. Like the more your mind is positive and peaceful, the happier you, you are. And happiness is, let's just say, the most important thing in life, right? Like meaningful happiness. Whereas uh, external things on the outside, the more you get them, actually the more you suffer from them. It's kind of interesting how you think about that. Like, you know, food, for example, is generally thought of as very pleasurable and, and nice and enjoyable, and it is. But it's not like it's a source of joy because the more you have it, the less joy you get, right? The most right. in the beginning, the first few bites, then it becomes more neutral. Mm -hmm. Then it actually becomes like, you'll start to feel sick. Like I've uh, had, what was it? I, ice cream. And I'm just like, I'm never going to do this again. Or on Christmas day, I really needed to like wind down. I was working way too hard. And I watched like four movies on Christmas just to make myself not work. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, after the day, I was like, I'm never going to watch a movie again. Like, <laughs> And mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like these things that we normally go to for relief are actually sources of discomfort in and of themselves. And the more you have them, the more discomfort you feel, which is sort of a profound understanding and it's kind of deep but what i'm trying to do is illustrate that the happiness that comes from a positive state of mind is completely different from external happiness mm. because the more you have it the happier you get and it never turns into suffering it never changes it always gives you happiness like the more love and respect you have for your friends the more happiness you have when you're with your friends and the more peace you have when you're by yourself the more happiness you have when you're by yourself and so this is the type of happiness that's completely reliable and, and stable. You know, externals in life cannot change the happiness that you get from within. And so meditation is all about learning how to cultivate and stabilize uh, happiness from within, positive states of mind. And we can learn like other practices to do during the day. Like meditation isn't just something that happens on the cushion. We need to kind of develop mindfulness practices that keep us on track during the whole day. And so then our mind gets stronger and stronger every day. Our mind is very trained. And we learn like what states of mind are negative. And how can I think in a way that will release my negative state of mind and not give it any traction? So it never develops, right? And how can I like take a situation and make it positive just by introducing a positive way of thinking into mm -hmm. that situation? Mm -hmm. And can I stabilize that and hold it even when things are chaotic around me? That's what meditation practice does. And that, yeah, that's what training the mind does. Okay. Okay. Well, I've, I've really never heard it explained like that before. So I've got like, there's so many buzzers going off in my head to, <laughs> to follow up with this. So, so let's talk about this concept of happiness really quick, because I think when people hear that word or thinking positive, they think of sort of their annoying friend who's just always on and, you know, everything's happy all the time. And, um, I, I try to explain to people that like happiness isn't necessarily laughing all the time, or it's not like euphoric even, right. It's something different and you can be a happy person generally and be a positive person and still cry and still be emotional. And I would say the deeper I get, towards my happiness and towards my serenity, the more I sort of let those emotions come out, the, the more I find myself just sort of letting go and crying at times and, you know, being able to release it quickly, of course, but, but yeah, what, what is that sort of topic of happiness or that, or that idea that we're trying to achieve? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I understand like people ask me that sometimes too. And like one time I explained it as like a deep, subtle joy that's within you and someone's like okay i like that mm. right? because sometimes we do get annoyed you know people repress different things and you know we also superimpose so like people superimpose positive states of mind on top of their negative ones they try to not feel the negative ones and they try to put the positive ones on top but they haven't addressed anything on the inside and so it's very superficial, it's unstable. And those are the ones that come off like super annoying and just like inauthentic, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's not, that's not what it is. Like we're talking about authentic and you sort of started mentioning the real secret, I guess, 
which is actually addressing what's there. You know, ignoring what's there to be positive is not the advice that you'll learn in a, in a Buddhist center or, or a real spiritual center. Ignoring what's there is the opposite of what you want to do. It's going to come back again. Like I, I used to do this, right? I used to think, oh, you know, I'm going to be the good Buddhist today and I'm not, I'm not going to get angry or I'm not attached. But what, what I was doing was I was taking these emotions um, and they're like buoys in the water and, or like a beach ball. And I was pushing them down underneath the water and then they pop back up even stronger than before at random times, very inconvenient, right? And it's because I wasn't addressing anything. I was just pushing it down. And I thought maybe I was, but I wasn't. And so I was learning how to be positive, but also hadn't gained control of these negative states of mind. And so they would still kind of run my life. And I was on this roller coaster, right? And the, the kind of key is, you know, as you mentioned, like we do, we need like certain practices that help us to stabilize and just get more peaceful so that we can begin to work with our mind. And then we need to start to like see what's there and actually accept what we're seeing and don't repress your negative emotions. That is not the advice. We're like positive. Doesn't mean like, um, pretend to be positive. Positive means like embrace and accept what's there. And like, if there's something negative, you don't be scared of it. Don't like run away. Don't think, Oh, I have, I must hide this and I can't show anybody because I'm positive. That's, that's like superficial ego stuff, right? Like, we need to see what's there and, and to think, wow, this is here. like today, right now I feel unhappy. Like I feel miserable. And then you, once you can accept it, then you can be like, okay, why? Mm -hmm. And if you learn the different in, inner workings of mind, you can start to uncover what are the causes? How come I'm feeling this way? Like this thing happened, I was feeling fine. And then it triggered this. And now I feel like this, right? And now it makes me go want to do this. Like, you need to, we need to be able to slow down enough to like see what happened and how it happened so we can take away the trigger and just be like, huh, it's because when this happened, I was expecting this and it happened like this instead. And my own expectation caused me to suffer and then I got angry. Like that's, you need to be able to do, like pick it apart like that. And that requires space and it requires the ability to accept what we're seeing without hiding from it or running from it or pushing it down or pretending it's not there. So that's how I would address that question. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, I had a woman on my podcast a, a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about this idea of emotional intelligence. And I think this goes along with it really well, because it's that being, like you said, being able to look inward and say like, okay, something's not right here. What can I change? What's really going on? Um, and oddly enough, I've talked to a lot of people that, I mean, 2020 for some people, of course, wasn't the same as it was for me. It was different for everybody. And, but I think to label the whole year as trash or dumpster fire or whatever celebrities are calling it, I think is unfair because my best year. <laughs> uh, me too. I, this is crazy. Like I just felt like the time, time was such a gift for me and I didn't waste it as much as I could have. <laughs> and, um, gosh, yeah, just really having that time to look inward and not expending the energy on social gatherings and sort of like postulating around people, right. Allowed me to take that energy and turn it inward and grow. Yeah. I, I do think it was such a gift, such a blessing, you know, for a lot of people, I think like myself included, people started to, in the beginning, like uncover things and projects that they really wanted to do, but they just were putting off and they finally had time and space to kind of do what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And it kind of also, um, this is something that I love. It put things in perspective, right? Like it put in perspective what's important. A lot of us waste our time and energy in life on things that are not that important. And we, our whole life is taken up with driving and with going out and with doing things that are not that important. And finally, we had a time to like be by ourselves a little bit and to, yeah, rediscover who we are. And yeah. For me, like, 
I was in a good position when it started, I guess, um, in some ways, you know, and I was at least able to create opportunities for myself very, very quickly when, um, when it all started and my business kind of took off really um, at that point, which is great. I already had something, but like, it was like on off different kind of variations. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, everything took off. And I, I talked to a lot of people around the time where it started and sorry, a lot of people that I know um, were, had, were loving it. You know, a lot of people that I know were, were loving it so much. And it's like a mass spiritual awakening for some people. Mm-hmm. So I love like the mirror of like disaster and death and whatever to like make us see what's important in our life because hmm. then we can see what we want to do and what we yes. want to stop doing right like if everything went back to normal tomorrow do you think the quality of people's lives would improve hmm. i say it wouldn't i say it, mm-hmm. i say it decrease because we would fill our life with distractions that we don't need like people are obviously doing that already but it would just completely separate them from their own kind and um and what can be meaningful if you're not even connected to yourself. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Um, and and maybe just too, like having time to do things. So, so this is sort of another question that I, I wanted to ask you. And um, my husband, actually, we were having this conversation. We talk about this a lot, actually. And he's a guitar player, musician. We're both musicians, but he is, um, like, that's his craft. You know, that is his you know, love what he's, what he's really amazing at. And, you know, for him, when he teaches others or talks to others about playing guitar, you know, he talks about how it's like a source of meditation for him and that, you know, you could sort of get lost. And when you're focused on just one task and, you know, for me, I find it in like, you know, being sort of artistic, right? Like I like to color, I like to draw, I like to do things creative like that. And, and even for me working out, I feel like as a form of meditation. So as somebody who is a professional, you know, or, or somebody who teaches about meditation and, and has that experience, like what, what, what would you say about those topics and, and how we look at them as meditation? Are we crazy? <laughs> no, definitely not crazy. Um, I'd say it's like meditation. I would say that it's like meditation and that you're focused on something that makes you feel more peaceful now like the reason that it works is because when our mind focuses on one thing it enables it to kind of absorb into it and simultaneously as we absorb into it everything else starts to disappear including all the things that were bothering us including all the disturbing states including distractions including that kind of thing that just kept our mind on the surface and wouldn't let us rest right? So the reason that it works is because focusing is the same thing as like forgetting everything else. Focusing on one thing allows us to forget everything else. And that gives us this Zen feeling. So in that sense, I'd say that it's like meditation. Now meditation specifically has like, it depends on who you ask, but um, sort of like the official definition from uh, Buddhism and, you know, Tibetan Buddhism is the lineage, you know, for me and Um, it means to familiarize your mind with something that gives rise to happiness with, they call it virtue. And it actually means it's a main cause of happiness, meaning it creates positive karma of happiness. So it, it, that necessarily means it's planting a karmic seed that will give rise to happiness in the future. So I guess the the real answer is it depends on your intention, right? Mm -hmm. If you are focused in a way with a good intention, let's just say your husband's playing music with the intention to benefit others. In that sense, he's creating virtue through that. And if he is single-pointedly focused on his intention to benefit others while he's doing that, then you can say he's meditating while he's doing that. Meditation isn't just creating virtue. It's also a single-pointed focus on something that is a main cause of happiness or something that is virtuous. Does that make sense? Yes. So if if you're cooking, I would more call it like, I would more call it like mindfulness. Like when it's on the go, it's mostly mindfulness, which means you can kind of stabilize that mind, but it's not as single pointedly focused. It's not like as absorbed. It's good. Like 
mindfulness is, is more important. Mindfulness is the precursor to meditation and it's, it's the life of meditation. So if someone who wants to improve their meditation practice, the main thing for them to do is to improve their mindfulness, which means practice it during the day. So it's all, it's all related, it's all good. Um, does that answer your question? Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh, yes, John. You're a natural teacher because this is making more sense to me <laughs> than anything I've, I've ever uh, endeavored in with meditation. So I thank you for that. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. So, so obviously you, you are not living, right? You're not living at the temple any longer. You've um, sort of moved into being a civilian again. And um, so, so where did that I guess, lead you, you know, I mean, cause you came out of that with a changed person, I'm sure. And, um, you know, in what ways did that inspire you and, and what are you doing with all of that inspiration in your life now? Hmm. Whoa. Good question. Okay. So, um, just to give the timeline, that might be the easiest way to answer this. Mm -hmm. um, in 2017, I became a full-time meditation teacher in Florida. So I moved to a center. It was my main job. I was like the main teacher of the center. So I designed the whole curriculum and I taught classes every day. And that was a really good year for me to kind of, it, it like forced me to show the example. You know, I was, I was, I had like a public role. So like I was really showing the example of what it was like to be a spiritual practitioner, which kind of kept me on more of the time, which it was, it was really good for me. Plus I was showing up every day and delivering classes with a good intention so it's creating all this positive energy for myself, which was really wonderful. And towards the end of that year, I decided to, um, to take, I decided that I wanted to take what I was doing and create a business out of it. So I was like, okay, I already know how to do this very well. I'm, I'm good at it. I just want to help people. I want to reach more people and want to kind of turn it into a business, like online business where I'm making some money, basically. So I had, the, I had both wishes. I wanted to do both. And also, to be completely honest, I was like, I was on top of my life in a lot of ways. I was like experiencing great things, but I was like, one thing I don't have is I really want to start dating. And I wasn't allowed to as a monk. Monks can't date, in case you didn't know. <laughs> I didn't. Interesting. Okay. I think it's probably different depending on like the tradition, but in Buddhism, you know, the monks don't date. So, um, but I wanted to, right? And I was only what, like 30 or something years old. And I was like, man, I really want to do that. So at some point I just kind of got the confidence up and I was just like, I'm just gonna go, I'm just gonna go out on my own. I'm gonna create a business. I'm gonna find a partner. I'm gonna do it like this instead. And it was not as easy as I thought it would be. It was actually um, a lot harder than I thought. So I, I basically uh, started learning online business and started practicing it and I'm, I started to love the marketing because marketing is just psychology in a sense. Hmm. And so I started to learn that. And then I started to, um, I, read, I had a non-compete contract with the meditation center that I sort of thought I could, thought wouldn't be an issue, but they, it kind of was. And so I had to pivot from doing my own work to helping other people to grow their businesses using the marketing I had learned. So that was the kind of interesting pivot that I took that when people are, they don't quite get it until I explain it. Like I had a not compete contract and I tried to launch my own thing and I was threatened with a lawsuit. And by the third time, I was just like, whatever, I'll just stop. And so um, I started helping other people to get clients for their business. I started working eventually through ups and downs and whatever. I was living in a place and I was just like, you know what? This is not my passion to do marketing for other people. I want my own business. I want my own, like I started doing this for myself. So um, I kind of got brave and I was just like, you know what? I don't care if, it, if they sue me, like I got nothing to take away anyway. <laughs> and so let's do this. And so I, I did launch my own spiritual coaching thing. I got some clients, I started working, I met a business partner, we created a business together. We got more clients than um, blah, blah, blah. Corona happened. I, I kind of had to leave that business partner due to a misalignment and yeah, whole kind of, I had a lot of success because um, I had the skills of digital marketing and I had the internal experience of, of teaching spiritual things. And I just, yeah, I launched a global healing summit at the beginning of 
um, the pandemic. And it was like a free thing, but it gathered me a very big audience very fast. And then I didn't have the intention for this, but then I had kind of hired some coaches and I was like, okay, I'm going to do my own business. And I just, I launched a thing to help other coaches get clients for their business. And because I had built this big audience of coaches, a lot of them bought. And my business made 14,000 this first month. And I was just like, oh, this is great. I finally, finally I have a big win. And so I just kind of ran with that. And then it's been like a wild year of doing that type of work, like helping coaches and healers and spiritual people to kind of get mentally stable is one thing that I do. Like mentally, spiritually build their foundations and kind of get to a little bit higher level spiritually. And then, if, or if they're already there, we build a business with them and we help them to get clients for the business. So that's kind of uh, probably the long answer, but that's how it progressed for me. Wow, that is incredible. I just, I just love how things like that work out because when you were in that situation, I mean, I, I can imagine if I was in a situation where I was like, I'm going to start a business. And then some gym I worked at was like going to sue me because <laughs> I was like, you know, going to be a trainer on my own, just how defeated I would feel. And like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll go over here, you know, in, in this field and do this for a while. Right. And just sort of thinking like, oh man, this isn't really what I wanted to do, but doing it well. And then, and then you just sort of like all this boom just came together for you. Like, man, life is cool like that, isn't it? <laughs> you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I did feel like by that third time when I finally gave up, like it took the wind out of the sails completely. It was like between that time and like the next I don't know how long, the next, yeah, I don't even know, a while, over a year and after, probably, probably a year, um, probably more than a year after that, probably a year and a few months was kind of a struggle, <laughs> Yeah. to be honest. Yeah. And, you know, good and bad, but like, I just wasn't thriving. I just wasn't in my lane, I guess. And, um, yeah, I could, you're right. It, it felt defeating. And I think a lot of people probably experience that. And yeah, to be honest, like, you know, sometimes it takes hiring a coach for them to kind of tell you, you know, you could do this. Why don't you just go try this? And that, that worked for me. Like I had some coaches and, you know, they just, they helped me. Yeah, I had different coaches at different times, but each one helped me with a certain level of like belief to really try to do what I really wanted to do. One of them was uh, Nick Unsworth, who I think you know his wife. Yep, and, yeah, um, Megan. Yeah, that, was, that was around the time I went to his event around the time of my very first successful spiritual coach. And it wasn't like, it wasn't exactly correlated. Like I did it on my own and then I, I kind of set it all up and went on a trip. And some sales actually came in while I was just like at their event doing nothing. Like it, it was like automated, which is great. Um, it was it was exhilarating to get my kind of first sales actually while I was at that event. That's incredible. Yeah, and uh, Nick and Megan they moved to Texas now, and they're oh. doing uh, this thing called Life on Fire, where they are, you know, essentially they created their own entrepreneurial. Uh, think tank or business coaching program where it's all like, you know, faith centered entrepreneurs that, that want to essentially like build God's kingdom on earth and, and find that their business is the vehicle that they want to do that with. So, um, yeah, that's, that's incredible. This is, I just think, you know, it's, it's so amazing how, um, just like the light in people attracts the light in other people. And, you know, I love this, the group of, uh, the network that you put together. I got this awesome Facebook message from you and all these amazing people are in this group, uh, with you. And, um, I'm so honored to be in there, but you know, one of the terms that you used was light workers, mm. right? So, um, I mean, you know, what, what is that? And, and sort of what is this network of people that you're forming and, and what's the intention behind that? Mm, thank you for asking yeah, I guess a light worker. So I don't know this the like the complete definition. Of it. I, I I don't really know if there is one. I don't know it. But for me, it's just um, yeah, someone who's dedicated their life to doing good in the world, 
And essentially, I guess that's it. They've dedicated their life to doing good in the world. And probably they're using some sort of spiritual means to get there. Mm. So probably they have some sort of inner spiritual practices that are filling them with light. And then they're dedicating themselves to sharing that light. That's how I see it. I don't, I don't think that I would want to adopt a more technical definition. For me, that's, that's enough. But I just resonate with that because I just like to do good in the world. I like to bring light, right? Essentially, I guess that's what it means is that you're working with light in your own practice and you're bringing light into the world. And the term that I like now actually better, which according, like, I don't know if I coined it. I probably didn't, but like for me, I did. Like I didn't get it from anybody else is leader of light. And so I'm trying to become a leader of light. And on some days I feel like I'm embodying being a leader of light. And I feel like I want to help everyone to step into that for themselves where they are a light leader, not just a light worker, but a light leader. And for me, that means that they have actually taken the step of integrating their benefit into the world in a practical way where they're actually having impact on the world. So they've taken this light and instead of just having it for themselves, they've taken a role in the world that allows them to share it with other people and to make a real difference in like a practical way. And so I think of like entrepreneurs and coaches. Um, yeah, being a leader is, uh, is essential to growing your own business. If you're like the expert of the business, if you are like the figurehead entrepreneur of that business, like if you're like a coach or a healer, like whether you know it or not, you are, you are or you need to be a leader in order for that business to thrive. You need to step up as like a leader. And because you're a spiritual person and because you're heart-centered in your business, you are a light leader and, or you need to be a light leader. That is like pretty much the key. And that's the, that's the role that we need to embody. That's the identity that we need to step into. And if we're hesitant to be a, a light leader, we're gonna be playing small and probably we're gonna have like this employee mindset where we want somebody else to do the hard work for us which is okay i know how that feels but i'm just discovering more and more that being a light leader is the key it is necessary and so that's why i've kind of created my group around that theme yes yes that's incredible and i do remember having this conversation briefly about leadership with mm -hmm. you when we spoke before and how that term can be scary and um i think maybe because the way we're conventionally taught in school and you know all, all of these different institutions throughout our life we're basically followers right we follow the teacher we follow our parents we follow our church leaders we follow our boss we follow you know whatever the corporation we work for um you know the government whatever this is whatever this entity is that we think we have to kind of fall in line and follow and I don't know if maybe millennials, I think, get a lot of flack because we tend to be this generation that pushes back on that a little bit and says like, no, I think I want to be a leader over here, you know, and we, we're sort of pushing back on these norms in our society where we're just taught to follow all the time. And, um, you know, I think you and I had talked a little bit about taking leadership just in our own life and you know, in our health and well-being and spiritual practice and, and all of these things. And that doesn't mean that we can't have mentors or that we can't seek out other leaders, but then taking that personal responsibility for ourselves, right, is really what leadership is about. I totally agree. Yeah, I think for me, if I look at the areas of life that I've had some success, first I was a follower and I got good teachers, right? It takes leadership to get a good teacher in the first place and to know that you need help to kind of like get yourself in a position where you can be led. I feel like that's essential. And then we need to get so good at the practices that we're being taught that we can lead ourselves. And then we lead ourselves. We're less reliant on outside information. And we're generally like guiding ourselves. We don't have as many unanswered questions and we can make decisions without asking our teacher. And then we get so proficient at leading ourselves that we gain all this knowledge and experience that people around us could really benefit from what we have to share. And then we're a real leader at that point because we're not just parroting what we've heard, we're actually teaching from our own experience. So that's how I see leadership and that's how I see it. And it's just like, 
the best leaders are, I think, are also the best followers. You know, the best leaders that I know are the ones who are following something higher than what I can see or follow, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So they're, they're not done with being a follower. They're still following, but they're just not following something that I can necessarily see or that I can connect with. Right? Like if yes. you were to ask, uh, I'm just kind of put words in this mouth real quick. If you were to ask Jesus, is he a leader or follower? He'd probably say he's following his father, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people follow Jesus because they have to connect to Jesus to connect to the father, if that makes sense. Right. I think a, yes. a real leader is like that. They're following something higher than what other people can see or connect to. Mm-hmm. And they, in a sense, they function as a leader, but they don't necessarily relate to themselves as a leader. They also relate to themselves as a student, a really good student, hopefully, of something else. Oh, I like that. Oh, that's so cool. I love that example of Jesus for sure. Um, and, and so true that like, once you become a leader, stepped in that position, that I think that means that you're called to learn and grow even more because now you're sort of stepping into like this responsibility. So leadership isn't necessarily like the top floor, right? But it's just, you're on the elevator going up. You know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very empowered role. And because it's also a very engaged role, which brings the best out of you. Like I said before, when I was uh, given that position of resident teacher at my center was probably the best year of growth for me. But up until that time, it definitely was. It was the, my most of my growth. Like I had grown a lot in my five years as a month before that, in my five years in practice before that, I'd grown a lot, but I grew more when I was a teacher. Because I had to, yeah, I had to be on, I had to create positive karma. Like it was my job. The center gave me a structure to plug into to give and share things, which was good for me to do. And yeah, it just, it kept me really engaged in my own practice at a much higher level. And so that sort of, yeah, position, being a leader allows you to create more impact and creating positive impact gives you lots of positive energy, which becomes fuel for your own growth. Yeah. Wow. I love that, John. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. I just, I'm like, I'm fired up. I feel like I am just energized. I've learned so much from this conversation with you. Um, I mean, how cool I get to do what I love and talk to amazing people and then share that with other people. Like I can't imagine anything better. Um, so I'd love to ask my, ask my guests, uh, and we're going to probably wrap up here shortly, but um, before I, I tell everybody where to find you and sort of the, the project that you and I are working on, um, you know, what, what do you do to find playfulness in your life? And, you know, how are you living the playful life? I love that question. Yeah, sorry we didn't get to that sooner. I'm sure that's like the theme, right? Um, oh, yeah, no worries. The best answer for me, like, first of all, I really, um, I do things, I give myself permission to rest. That's probably the main thing is I give myself permission to rest and I don't beat myself up for resting or taking breaks or taking time off because I see it as essential to fulfilling whatever role I need to. Like my, my rest is part of my energy um conservation which allows me to kind of recharge and then to give and to show up how i need to so a lot of people i used to beat myself up whenever i rested but now i see rest as essential to my effort and essential to my momentum so i rest a lot i go to the beach a lot i do things to kind of relax myself so that's a big part of it but what i was going to say before like a little bit subtler and more deep thing maybe is like i question um societal norms I question norms so I stay playful by learning that like a lot of the boundaries that are set that keep people rigid and tight are, are not actually really there and that allows me to kind of play when you a play play means that you know the rules but you know how to work within the rules right and so mm-hmm. I try to see what are the structures and boundaries and societal norms and whatever that people hold as being like law and I try to see what those are like that I'm not saying there shouldn't be rules and structure because there should, right? That, that's kind of what makes it fun. It makes it more fun when you can see the rules, but then you play within them. It means you can be creative and unfold within the structures that are already there. 
And, and a lot of times that means that you don't take them so seriously. You don't think that it's a catastrophe to like not break, the, you know, not follow this rule. And if I bend this rule, like something bad's gonna happen. Like, I don't do that. I just think whatever, like, it's not really there. It's just an illusion. And because these rules are just illusions, I can play within them. Wow. That is a really cool definition of playfulness. I like that a lot. I feel like we could go on for a whole other hour. <laughs> um, but luckily, uh, you know, we will continue this conversation between the two of us. And we have some collaborations coming up. And uh, one of them is going to be a seven-day challenge that, um, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful to present to both my audience and yours. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to give too much away about that, but, um, so where can people find you, uh, follow you, tap into what you're doing so that when, when we do get this collaboration going, um, they're right there at, at the front row. Thank you for asking. Yeah. I just created a really nice, uh, free masterclass. It's only like 30, 40 minutes long. And it just explains what I do and it teaches people how to launch and grow their spiritual healing or coaching business. And it just gives away like four keys to doing that that I found essential. Okay, so if someone wants to watch that class, it's free. They can do that at connectingamazingpeople.com. Okay, so right, connectingamazingpeople.com. Awesome. I'll link that easy. down below, by the way, for all cool. of you. Yeah. You just have to, you have to put in your email and then you'll get access to the class. And it, yeah, it's just there. And uh, that's, it's like my best work. Like that class explains exactly what I do. Like if you want to know more, that will answer all the questions. And then there's a link uh, there for anyone who wants to like get on the phone with me and talk about what they're doing and see if I can help them. Awesome. Wow. That is wonderful. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And uh, I honor you for sharing your light uh, with me and the world and, and just being so... Um, you know, centered on just doing good, like you said, doing good in the world. And I, I can tell uh, we're very, very far away from each other geographically. Um, but I, I feel like we, we had a real connection and that, um, you know, this is, this is something very exciting that, that we have going on here and that you're doing. So um, thank you very much for being here today, John. My pleasure. Yeah. You know, I feel that too. Like I connect with a lot of people uh, the reason I call my thing connection is because that's sort of my special gift that, you know, that I love to do is connecting people and connecting to divine things as well. But so I do that a lot. And I really, um, I love the connection that we've made. And I can just, I see, I see your energy. You have quite amazing energy and it's just nice to, to be around you. You're, you're like a light, you're light for the people around you. And you know, I, I can notice that. And I, like I said, I, I talk to a lot of people and it's, it's not like that with, you know, with, with everybody. So oh, uh, thank you. Uh, I'm happy you're doing this podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. This has been really fun. And I, I look forward to like meeting some of your viewers. Like I would love to connect with you guys too. If you're watching this or listening, you know, feel free to reach out to me somehow. Uh, John Patrick Muller on Facebook. I'd love to connect with you too and just see where it goes. All right. Yeah, absolutely. I will make sure people know where to find you and how to get connected. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks, John. You have a lovely rest of your day. Enjoy that Florida weather. <laughs> thank you. You too. Enjoy, enjoy your time as well. Enjoy your thank birthday. Thank you. Ah, thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. I just want to take a quick moment to thank some of the sponsors that make The Playful Life possible. One of those is Baxter Printing over in Griffith, Indiana, but you can access them anywhere in the world, anywhere in the United States. Just uh, visit them, baxterprinting.com or call 923-1999, 209-923-1999. And uh, Dave over at Baxter Printing is actually printing up some new business cards for me as, uh, as I am recording this podcast. So very, very excited about that. He has such an awesome creative space there, a great team of people. It's a local business, a family business, and he will do the job right every single time. Call him at Baxter Printing. Also want to thank 
Ron Harlow Media, The Cheeky Mom, and Ron Harlow's Make My Day are found at Ron Harlow Media or Harlow Media. On Facebook, you can stream Ron's show from 4 to 6 Central Time every day and The Cheeky Mom on Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. They have some great content and uh, we're very excited about all the different programming that's going to come your way in 2021. So be sure to check out Ron Harlow Media. Thanks for joining me on The Playful Life today. I hope you learned some awesome ways to start tapping into that meditation practice and finding ways to live your best, most playful life. Again, if you want to find out what those dreams are on your heart and how to start achieving them, get connected with me, guys. Go to crystallizedhealthadvisors.com. Remember, that is crystallized with a K. And uh, schedule a dream strategy call with me, and let's make it happen in 2021. As always, stay playful.